The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, uh, how's everybody doing tonight? It's been a while since I've got to hang out with you Wednesday night, people. Um, and it's uh, fun to be back with you. You're going to get me for a couple of weeks now. So, um, um, But Sam's been doing a fantastic job. Um, you know what's awesome is... Uh, getting emails on Wednesday night and Thursday morning saying, hey, I don't know if you know this, but, and talking about the teachings that were going on when I was gone. That was just, it's fantastic. So um, I, I love the, the environment we have at our church. Um, we are, as you guys know, doing this uh, worldview study uh, here recently, and we've tackled a lot of kind of hot-button controversial topics, everything from abortion, race, um, all sorts of things. Um, tonight's not one that's so much controversial um, as it is um, confusing. How about that? Um, we're going to be talking about parenting. Tonight we're going to be talking about parenting. And uh, so a couple things, a couple disclaimers. First of all, some of you guys are empty nesters now and you're like, oh, well, let's go to the coffee shop. I'm out. I don't, I'm done. Um, or you don't have children yet or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of people in a lot of different categories. And so um, I want to encourage you, if not plead with you, to still lean in. Um, because our responsibility as believers is to continue to shepherd not just our children, but one another as well. And uh, um, I, I'm, I'm certain if, if you don't have children yet, maybe the Lord would plant a seed during some of this time tonight. Um, if your children are already out of the house, I hope you're continuing to shepherd your children, even as they have children one day. Um, there's just always opportunity for some of this kind of stuff. So that's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two is I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, and I could not be more sincere about that. Every, every year, uh, or not every year, I should say, but there always seems to be seasons where um, especially pastors will write books about a certain thing, and you'll get like three or four books from three or four well-known pastors all about the same time, um, especially with marriage. Uh, marriage, they, it kind of goes through shifts. At one point, you had like Tim Keller, John Piper, and Mark Driscoll all put out marriage books the same summer, and then there was a little lull. Recently, Francis Chan and Matt Chandler put out two parent, or marriage books, so, so it's kind of on the, on the ramp up, and you don't see as many on parenting. You just don't. And I, I, I think one of the reasons is, is parenting's hard. We're done. <laughs> no, parenting is hard, and, and parenting is difficult. And I'll be the first to tell you guys, like, my, ki my kids are still young. I have two little girls that have yet to really cause us any significant family drama, haven't been through any trials. As I look around this room, there's people that I've sat with you as you were in tears dealing with situations, some of you with children and all these things. And so um, it'd be really easy for me to sit up here and try to pretend that, man, I got all the answers. But I'll be the first to tell you right now, I don't. Um, and I don't think anyone does. I, I think even when you look at Scripture, you can see that there's no hardcore formula to this where someone has it nailed. Um, some of you guys even know this already yourselves. You can parent multiple children the same way and have completely different results in the same family. Can you not? Um, look at the story of the prodigal son. The good father in the story has two sons that are completely different. And he, even in the end, you go, yeah, but the son came back, and so he had both of his sons back in the fold. Well, not really. The legalistic fold was grumpy and staying outside and wouldn't have anything to do with him anymore. There was like dramatic family issues and division going on in this particular picture where the father of the two children is supposed to be our picture of God. Think of Jesus with the disciples. Now, granted, Jesus was not a parent of the disciples, but he was shepherding them teaching them, leading them, and he did not go 100% in all the followers within his little fold, did he not? 
I mean, even Judas himself walked away. And so there's many times that we can see that, that one family has a certain thing, and these kids are doing well, and then they have, and we refer to it sometimes as the black sheep. You hear phrases like that. Um, we have our black sheep, or we have our difficult one, or whatever the case may be. I think we all know, even in using phrases like that, it's kind of a way of putting blame off. Like, we did everything right except for this one. That must be on them. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. Uh, the, the reality is, is that everyone's responsible ultimately and in the end for themselves, including our children. And all we can do is do the best that we can do and pray and trust God with the rest of it. So um, this is not a time tonight when I'm going to give, th there is no how-to to tonight's message. Um, tonight's message is a worldview message. This is the idea. So it's not about how should we raise children, but instead I want to look at more like how should we look at parenting as a whole. So uh, if you came here for practical tips, sorry. But, um, but we're, we're staying big picture here. Remember, this is the guy on Sunday that I said I think I even threw my lawnmower thing away because I'm not detail-oriented. So we're going big picture on all this stuff today. Um, and we're going to talk about parenting. And so today, when I was really trying to wrestle through this, because some of these topics are so big, it's really hard to figure out how you're going to nail or, or narrow something down into um, one or two things. Thank you, Aaron. Um, it's really difficult to figure out how to narrow things down like that. And, and so I started off just by looking at, like, what are the basic responsibilities of a parent? Like, as a parent, what are you specifically, clearly responsible for as a parent? Um, legally, that answer was easy to find. Um, here, here's a statement from the state of Oregon. Parents have the duty to care for, protect, and reasonably discipline their child. They must provide support, including food, clothing, housing, education, health care, and dental care. Parents have the duty to manage a child's money unless someone else has been assigned that responsibility by a court. Most states require parents to support the child financially at least through high school, but few require support throughout college. It's an additional thing in, in, in terms of education. So the state of Oregon defines it that you are legally required to care for, protect, reasonably discipline, provide support, food, clothing, housing, um, manage the child's money. Um, so uh, un unless, you know, um, responsibility, guardianship is what we would call it, has been given to someone else. Um, all that's really vague. So I tried to look some of this up and go, okay, well, what, what does it say? Um, what can I find out there for specifics? And uh, this is not the state of Oregon, but this is from a family law website that's, that deals with three or four different states sort of back east. And they were trying to really further define what is it that we as parents are responsible for when it comes to children. And they have us a list. I think we have this here. Um, number one, we are required to provide, or we are responsible for providing an environment that is safe. And they break that down a little further. They say, uh, keep your child free from physical, sexual, emotional abuse. Unsafe objects must be locked up or kept out of reach of your child. Um, you should know your child's caregivers, references, background checks. Um, correct potential dangers around the house. Take safety precautions. Use smoke, carbon monoxide detectors, lock doors at night, etc. Um, seat belts in the car be another example like that. We are, as parents, required for that. And if we fail in that particular responsibility... It, sorry, I just the order threw me off. If we fail in that particular responsibility, um, the court doesn't hold the child responsible. The court holds the parents responsible, right? We have to provide safety. Number two, we are to provide our child's basic needs. And they define basic needs as water, nutritious foods, shelter, warm bed with sheets, blankets, and pillow. Now we're just getting picky. Medical care as needed, medicine when ill, clothing that is appropriate for weather conditions, 
and space, or in other words, a place where he or she can be left alone. Uh, Third, we are to provide our child with self-esteem needs. Um, This can be a controversial one in a lot of places, but um, they define that as this. Accept your child's uniqueness, respect his individuality, encourage but do not push your children to participate in activities, notice and acknowledge your child's achievements and pro-social behavior, encourage proper hygiene, how to look good is, uh, no, and they even say this, to look good is to feel good, set expectations for your child that are realistic and age-appropriate, and use your child's misbehavior as a time to teach, not to criticize or ridicule. So that's providing for your child's self-esteem needs. Number four, you are to teach your child morals and values. They, they define some of these. Honesty, respect, responsibility, compassion, patience, forgiveness, and generosity. Number five, we are responsible as parents for developing mutual respect with our child. Using respectful language, respecting his feelings, his or her feelings, respecting his or her opinions, respecting his or her privacy, respecting his or her individuality. Number six, we are required to provide discipline which is effective and appropriate. And they define this as it's structured, consistent, predictable, and fair. Number seven, you are to involve yourself in your child's education. Communicate regularly with teachers. Make sure your child is completing homework. Assist your child with homework, but don't do the homework. Talk to your children about school. Make sure your children go to school. Recognize and acknowledge your child's academic achievements. And then finally, you are to get to know your child. Spend quality time together. Be approachable to your child. Ask questions. Communicate in a non-threatening way. So this is how a state, or excuse me, a family law um, practice back east is defining these are the responsibilities of a family according to the culture and the government that we live in. And so it's pretty multifaceted. I think a lot of those things are things that we would completely agree with, that those are are, uh, proper things. But um, as Christians, our goal here, again, in this series is worldview with regards to the gospel and our Christianity. So aside from the things that our government would say, these are requirements that we look for. Uh, If you fail in these areas, you could be guilty of child neglect or of um, whatever the case may be. Aside from those things, um, are there things that the Bible would look at that says that they are our responsibility or are not our responsibility? Maybe things that we should consider as we're looking at this particular topic of parenting. Um, As a Christian, what are our responsibilities as parents? And it's been said before, and you've heard me say this before, when it comes to parenting, the Bible doesn't have a lot of specific stuff to say. It really doesn't. I mean, there's Old Testament passages that talk about training up your child in the way he should go. Um, You see in the the law, it was the responsibility of the parents to teach God's works and God's testimony to their children. Um, and there's things, you know, we'll get into an Ephesians 6 coming, or excuse me, Ephesians 5 coming up here. There's some, some things with regards to parenting in there. So th- there's a little nuggets here and there, but by and large, there's not a whole lot of really specific do this, don't do this when it comes to children. And it's kind of funny, like, I don't know about you guys, but the first time that we ever had a child, I remember being in the hospital and you stay that night or whatever it is, and then comes time, they come do the safety, uh, the, the child seat check, and they do all that kind of stuff. And you guys remember that feeling when they're like, all right, you're good to go. And suddenly you're like walking out of the hospital like, wait, 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 we're not, you're just going to let us go? Like, that's it? We just go? 
And, and you feel, and I don't know if you guys have felt that, anyone with me on that? Like you suddenly feel totally and completely inadequate and you are, you are in, instantly aware your entire world has changed. Your, your entire paradigm has changed and suddenly there's this little, fra- now this is first child, by the fourth child, you're like letting him walk himself to the car. Like I get that. But like first child, you're just like, what do we even do? What do we even do? So what are some of our responsibilities? Well, it, not a lot that we can go through, but I'm going I'm to just share a couple of things with you and starting out with a little bit more on the do not category. Um, do not, and again, I should do this too. Um, we'll just have these available afterwards. The, um, I did put together some resources for you guys with regards to parenting, just some fantastic books that are like must read. If you are looking like we need some practical advice on specific, specific things with regards to raising our children. Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick is so good. We've bought, I don't know how many copies as a church and given away. One Sunday, you guys might remember, we gave them to the whole church. This is a tremendous book. Um, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp is probably even better. Um, If you have a teenager, Age of Opportunity by Ted Tripp. And then Dobson's got his two classic books, Bringing Up Boys and Bringing Up Girls. Um, And then I also put a link to a teaching by Paul Tripp about getting to the heart of parenting. So I don't want to bring you here and then just be like, yeah, go figure it out. Good luck. Like there's some practical stuff available. But but here's a couple things that I see happen a lot. um, And and that as I'm doing some reading, I just felt like we're really appropriate for us. And so what are our responsibilities uh, as a parent? Well, here's here's number one. I want to start with this. It is not, it is not your responsibility as a parent to create heaven on earth for your child. That's a huge statement. So just think about that for just a second. It is not the responsibility of a parent to create heaven on earth for your child. Now let me break that down a little bit and tell you what I mean by that. Um, Christmas letters are coming soon. Do you guys send Christmas letters? Not cards, but letters, like the annual update thing. There's a couple. Um, I did one one year for our family, and the whole thing was made up. I said that Bronwyn was running for president, and I did, like all sorts of things. It was just the whole thing was a complete, um, l- just a joke, all of it. And uh, I'll never do that again because we had distant family members writing back like, what? We didn't know? All this kind of stuff. I was like, all right, you guys just don't know me well enough. But Christmas letters are coming. And, and here's one of the things that can happen with regards to Christmas letters that maybe you guys have experienced. Have you ever read someone else's Christmas letter and your instant response is, I am a horrible person? Have you ever felt that? The people sending letters, they're like, well, my, 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 my youngest boy just won the National Spelling Bee. Uh, my daughter is a black belt in Taekwondo and just uh, beat up Bruce Lee over the weekend. And uh, my son is now all-world soccer and just got a full scholarship to... North Carolina. They're actually good at soccer, so we can use that. North Carolina. So, I mean, you just read all of these things that are going on with all these children, and we're doing this, and we're taking them there. We went to D.C. and studied right there, and then we flew instantly to London, and we got to go see uh, all these different things. And you just see all the things that somebody else is doing, and you can read that and feel completely consumed with guilt to feel like, man, I'm not doing that. Like, that was a great idea. I should do that. They're probably in debt if they're doing that, but I guess maybe I should be in debt too because now my kid's not going to have that and we can be completely consumed with that to feel like that we're not doing enough. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we can take our best intentions as parents to go so far that we end up creating heaven on earth here for our children. What, what I mean by that is this. Number one, when you're giving your children everything that they want. That, that, that's heaven, right? 
I'm, I'm not talking about just like materialistic heaven gives us everything we want, but everything our heart truly does desire will be found there. And happiness and joy and all these things, like that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be constant joy with no disappointments, no sorrow, no fear, everything we could possibly want. That's what heaven's like. And sometimes as a parent, we can actually, I believe, make a horrible mistake in doing that for our children here. We can also do it in such a way where we make the whole world, or at least all of the rhythms with regards to our own family, revolve around that one child. Like that child becomes the focus for everything. They, that child and their schedule determines everything for our family. That child and their need determines everything for our family. And you become a family that's very child-centric. Like everything kind of revolves around it. And then the third aspect of it is that, that we can create heaven on earth now for our children by protecting them from anything that could ever cause them difficulty, harm, disappointment, pain, or trouble. That's a hard one. Like, not giving my child and my daughters everything they want. Like, I struggle with that. There's been several times, probably the biggest fights that Bronwyn and I have ever had with regards to parenting are when she said no to something and then I did it anyway. So, like, I, I, I understand, like, I'm a softie when it comes to my girls and I want to give them things for sure. You, you have a baby and we're talking about parenting. You don't have to leave. It's okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. Get that crying child out of here. We're creating heaven on earth for us. No, just <laughs> but, um, but anyway, like I get that, like I want to give my children, so, but I understand that it will spoil them and, and I can't afford to give them everything they want. So that part's kind of easy. But man, I want to protect my kids from things that are going to cause them harm or difficulty or disappointment. So bad. Um, our daughter is going to junior high now um, and she's now at a public school. And it's the first time she was homeschooled up until now. And it's the first time um, that she's ever gone to school anywhere else. And that was a real challenge for us in a lot of ways. And one of the reasons, I was the one probably within our family pushing for that the most. And one of the reasons that I was pushing for that so hard, though it was so difficult for me, is I was like, you know what? At some point, she has to learn what it's like to be somewhere at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, be offended, have someone do something to her that isn't okay, that whether it crushes her or makes her upset or whatever the case, and then have to learn how to wrestle through that and figure that out without mom and dad right there to deal with it every single time. Like at some point, she has to start learning how to do some of those things. And Hannah, in particular, man, she is our softy. Like, I don't, I don't have to discipline Hannah. I can just look at her the right way and she's going to cry. And so at some point in there, she has to learn how to go through some of those difficult things. So my big struggle in a lot of ways is like, I, I want to protect them. And it can feel right. Like, isn't that my job as dad to protect them from everything that goes on? Shouldn't that be part of what I do? And I found an amazing uh, study and article. It was done for a magazine called The Atlantic, or it was published in a magazine called The Atlantic. It was done by a secular doctor, secular author, there is nothing with regards to Christianity, gospel, anything like that in there. It's just a secular study on parenting. And this particular guy is a psychologist. And so when he, he, he goes back to, and some of you guys will remember this, especially if you've been around a little bit longer. Do you guys remember when you were younger, and, um, or in the, I guess you'd say 60s, 70s, 80s, there was this whole thing about don't make your kid end up in, in counseling one day. If you mess up now when they're young, they're going to end up in therapy. And there were study after study after study that was done over things that were brand new to our culture in a lot of ways, like attachment disorders and stuff like that. One of the famous examples, if you guys remember it, I don't know if you will or not, but um, one of the famous examples was 
was they would take monkeys away from their parents and there would be like a stuffed animal in the room. Some of you guys remember this, right? And the, how the monkeys would just hold on to the stuffed animals and all this stuff. And they used to say during all that time, listen, the things that you're dealing with, like if you don't give your child all these things that they need right now, then they are going to be so messed up. And one day down the road, they're going to end up in therapy. Now, is there truth to some of that? Yeah, probably so. But can you go too far? Well, here's what this guy discovered. So this guy goes to school. He becomes a uh, pediatrician and then a psychologist. And he ends up meeting with people. He's doing counseling and he's doing therapy and all this kind of stuff. And, and he says he remembers the day there was this gal that comes in. And she comes in and sits down and she's struggling with anxiety and depression and just not happy in life and couldn't find fulfillment. And just what's the point of all this and just struggling. And so he starts, as you would expect, well, let's go back into it. Let's find out what happened in the past that's causing you to feel this way. So your dad abandoned you, right? No, my dad's always been around. He was abusive. No, my dad loved me. Your, your mom? No, she was right there. My parents have been married for 30 years, whatever the case was. And he starts going through all these things in family. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, my family's great. I love my parents. They've always been around. He's like, this can't be right. And like, literally, he talks about that there has to be something wrong here because no way she would feel this way if, and he starts digging more and more and more, and what he found was she seemed to have everything she could have possibly wanted. Why would she be struggling with fear and anxiety now? And so at first, he was like, I, I don't know, and he just kind of kept treating her however he was treating her. But then he says, that, and then another client came in, and then another client came in, and he started noticing his own client database or his own um, clientele, if you will, there was a huge number of people that were coming in that didn't have some of these classic stories of abandonment and stuff that was feeding into or triggering the things that were going on. And so he started asking, okay, if we always thought that not giving them enough is going to, and the article's called How to Land Your Child in Therapy. He goes, if it's true that, we've always believed that not giving your children enough of these different things is going to land your child in therapy. Is it possible that giving them too much will too? And this is what he goes into. I'll read some of the, the quotes from this story. The American dream and the pursuit of happiness have morphed into a quest for general contentment to the idea that you must be happy now at all times and in every way. Happiness as a byproduct of living your life is a great thing, but happiness as a goal is a recipe for disaster. Could it be that by protecting our children from unhappiness, we're depriving them from happiness as an adult. And then he says, Paul Bond, a psychiatrist at UCLA who came to speak at his clinic, says the answer may be yes. Based on what he sees in his practice, he believes many parents will do anything to avoid having their children experience even mild discomfort, anxiety, or disappointment. Anything less than pleasant, as he puts it. With the result that when, as adults, they experience the normal frustrations of life, they begin to believe something must be terribly wrong. So, paraphrase, this is what he's saying. When we give our children everything, when we protect them from any difficulty that comes their way, when we create heaven on earth from their, them now, and then they grow up, they learn that that's just not what life is, right? And so when some of the normal difficulties that begin to come their way, they found that suddenly these kids are like, I have everything I want, but I'm frustrated. And they're finding themselves empty and not having any clue how to handle discouragement, disappointment, or any of those things. I believe, not, let's, we can't go too far on this, right? Because God is the good father, and it talks about how God gives gifts to his children. 
So you can go too far and go, awesome, no Christmas presents at our house this year. And the kids will just have to figure it out. And you'll be like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Jimmy Kimmel videos where they wake the kids up the morning after Halloween and tell them that mom and dad ate all the Halloween candy and the kids freak out. And it's good for them. They'll just learn that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that. We should be generous. Because remember, just a couple of weeks ago, I taught who we are as parents also teaches our children something about who God is. Okay? And so even God says, even as you want to give good gifts to your children, how much more would I? So we should be generous to our kids. We want to be kind to them. And I'm excited to give my kids gifts this Christmas. But if I try to make everything perfect from them and remove them from any sort of difficulty, from any sort of wanting, from any sort of pain or disappointment or any of those things... I'm not doing them a service in teaching them how to deal with difficulties as life goes. Like My goal is not to be God for them, but to teach them to be disciples. And think about, go back to Jesus, who's our ultimate example. What are the things he was constantly teaching his disciples? Hey, in this world, you will have trouble. He was saying things like, hey, I'm not going to be with you forever. You're going to want to scatter. He was constantly trying to teach them about the difficulties that were going to come. And the persecution that came his way, he clearly did not protect them from either. They experienced it and felt it. When Jesus wants to go to Jerusalem, they're losing their minds. Are you kidding me? There's hardship over there, but what is he teaching them? Hardship's part of the program. So, so if our goal, forget now the study from a secular standpoint, we're Christians. This is the idea, Christian worldview. And so if our job as parents is to raise disciples and we look back to the ultimate example where Jesus raised his, his disciples, part of what we have to actually teach our children is how to walk through a life that is going to be difficult. Jesus guaranteed, if you follow me, you're going to have difficulties. And we can protect our kids so much by creating this kind of heaven on earth, this sort of bubble for them that when they get outside the house, they don't know how to handle some of these kind of things. And so we have to avoid the, the, the temptation, if you will, to create heaven on earth for our kids. That is not our responsibility. Love them, care for them, be generous. Yes, 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 yes. But we are not God for them, and this is not heaven. In fact, we should be pointing them, I'm getting ahead of myself, to another heaven. The second one is this one. In the same way, that it is not our responsibility to create heaven on earth here for our children. It is also not our responsibility to make our children heaven for us. And that's a different thing. And maybe, maybe even more difficult to do. It's this idea of putting your hope in your children. Your identity in your children. Your, I'm devastated if my children don't. And I need my children to make me look good. And putting everything, all your hope, all your dreams, all your efforts, everything into your children, making them your hope, making them your heaven, not a good idea. Uh, first of all, children make horrible gods. Horrible gods. Children are constantly going to let you down. Children are constantly going to wrestle with selfishness. Children are, we do not have children as parents so that we might be fulfilled. That's just not the purpose. I mean, think of it this way, man. If children are your gods, your whole world revolves around your children. Like, here's Jesus, who our hope's supposed to be, saying, in my house we have many rooms. And yet our children, they might put us in a home one day, having nothing to do with the room that we're in there. I mean, they're horrible gods. You cannot do that. And child-centered marriages. Child-centered marriages always fail. 
always fail. When the kid is out of the home, you find out how devastating that kind of practice was. Child-centered, I cannot tell you. There's been times with people in our church that we've sat down with people three years ago and said, your kids are almost out of high school and you have nothing, the two of you. You've got to figure this out and they're divorced today. Child-centered marriages will wreck you. And then also, and especially guys on this one, your child is not your second chance at life. I say this again, your child is not your second chance at life. I know that if the coach had just put you in, you would be in the NBA today. But you do not relive all the disappointments of your past through your children. You cannot do that. I love what Matt Chandler says. He says, go home, get out the jersey, hug it really tight, and then bury it. And never kiss that boy goodbye and never bring that man up again. You can not. I coached Little League, or not coached Little League, I refed Little League, which is worse. Um, I had a boss when, back when I was doing engineering that I was constantly trying to like impress and work my way up the ladder. And, and he had a son in Little League and he was coaching and each team was supposed to bring their own umpire to the games. And so he invited me to be an umpire for Little League. And I'm thinking, hey, look, I'll get to know him a little bit better and be impressed to him. And I can do that. Hump Little League games? Never do that. Never, ever, ever, please. Like, have surgery before you do that. It, have, it's hard on your knees, but have both legs amputated if you must. Do not ref Little Leagues because you are around this constant stream of parents that can be horrible to their children and to you as well. Because then it's your fault that Strike 3 got called on their boy. It's not that he stunk. It's, it's your fault that he was out. It's your, all these things. It was horrible. But there are so many people that they try to relive the disappointments of the past through their children. Um, I, I shared you guys uh, uh, some pretty personal stories a couple of weeks ago regarding my father. And I, I think I told you guys that, that the overall impression when I look back um, at my upbringing with my dad, if I, like right now, if I picture, what does your dad look like in your mind? He looks frustrated. Like, that's the initial look that comes to my mind. He looks frustrated. Um, in fact, the only time when I look back that I can remember my dad looking actually proud at me, it was when I was doing well at sports, and he was sitting with his buddies on the bench, and it, it had nothing to do with me. But it had everything to do with the fact that because I'm scoring baskets or whatever it is, it made him look good amongst his fathers over there. And I'm just telling you right now, kids pick up on that. Like, they get that. And, and we've got to understand the only place that we as believers are to put our hope is in Jesus. And if we put all of our hope in, in our kids, it will crush them. They will spend the rest of their life wishing they could live up to the dreams and expectations of mom and dad. They'll feel like I did, feeling like they constantly frustrated dad and never got to a place of approval. And what does the gospel teach us? that our approval with our Heavenly Father has nothing to do with our performance. He doesn't care how many goals we score. He doesn't care how many of the Ten Commandments we're nailing. He doesn't care. None of that stuff has anything or any bearing on how God feels about us. He loves us because He's a good and gracious Heavenly Father. And when we put that kind of pressure on our kids, make them heaven for us. All of our hope is in our kids. They are not designed for that. That goes for your marriages, that goes for your careers, that goes for anything, but it especially goes for those kids that are in there running around screaming, having a ball right now. They are not God, and they make horrible gods. Only Jesus will satisfy us. 
So if we're not to make heaven on earth for our children now, and we're not to make our children our heaven now, then what, what are we to do? I'm going to give you the most broad, like this is not even a 30,000 foot flyover. This is like the biggest, like big picture summary of what parenting should look like you've ever heard before, but it's all I'm giving you tonight, so you'll have to take it. We are, simply put, to just walk with our children towards heaven. Our children are in heaven, and we're not making heaven on earth now. But we are on a journey together with our children towards an actual place called heaven. With an actual Savior named Jesus. And our responsibility is to point them there. I mean, if you go again and look at how Jesus led his disciples. I mean... Even walking along the road, taking opportunity as they were going places to just say, hey guys, look, do you see these lilies? But going somewhere, leading them somewhere, having an overall goal that they were pointing towards. Our job is the same. Our job as parents is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not disciples of me. I mean, people say, Hannah looks exactly like you. These kids, oh, they look blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls. But my job is not to make my children like me. My job is to make my children disciples of Jesus Christ, to hold their hand as we walk now. And then on that day, when I cut them loose and they go off to college or they go off wherever, the idea is I don't have to fear that I let go of their hand because the other hand is being held tightly by Jesus Christ. That's my responsibility as a parent. And it's as simply put as it can be. Um, heaven has to be the overall focus. So that's it. How do we do that? That's then the question. How do we do that? Well, again, I shared with you guys, the Bible doesn't have a ton of really specific examples. It doesn't have a lot of, uh, there, there's not stories really about how dads and children work together and Jesus then saying, thus shall it be as you parent. There's none of those. Wouldn't it be great if we had some of that kind of stuff? But there's just not. And even some of the things that we try to take as specific rules, train up a child in, which, in how he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Those are proverbs. Those are guidelines. Those are general wisdom. They're not instant promises that say, as long as we take our children to church and teach them the Bible, they won't walk away. We know that it can happen. So how do we do this? But, but here's something that I do think. While the Bible may not have a whole lot to say about parenting specifically. As you parent your child, do this. As you parent your child, do this. Here's what it does. You guys remember uh, the late 70s, early TV. Here's something good you can learn from TV, right? Remember late 70s, early 80s, some of you guys. Remember a show, it was called, um, I have to look it up because I can't remember. Ah, Kids Are People Too. You guys remember that show? It was almost like a variety show or talk show, but it was geared towards kids. And the overall purpose of that show was to treat like, hey, kids deserve their own talk show. They've got their own ideas. They have their own thoughts. And, and so they literally would approach this as if it was like a Jimmy Kimmel show or something like that, but specifically for children about the things kids are going through, things kids are interested in, and all those kind of things. It was called Kids Are People Too. But here's the thing. That's true. That's true. And while the Bible may not have tons of really specific stuff to say about parenting, it has tons of things to teach us about how to interact and deal specifically with other people. Does it not? The Bible tells us that our, what does it call people around us in our everyday life? Neighbors. And it says things like, love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it, I want to challenge you guys on this. Sometime when you're reading through, especially the New Testament and some of these kind of things, the teachings of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, as you come across some of those kind of things, don't look for the specifically categorized thing that talks about just parenting. 
but maybe step back. Have a worldview that's a little bit different and broaden your view. How does this apply? So I, I got some examples here. So when we want to correct our kids with harshness, because that happens never, right? You ever find yourself like that? You want to, so I, I went for a run with my dog today and I'm trying to get my dog to learn that though he wants to run out on his own, I, when he gets to a certain point, I want to be able to yell at him and he comes right back to me. And as I was thinking this stuff, as I was, I was running, I'm like, Asher, get back here. And he's like looking around, smelling stuff. I'm like, Asher, get back here. And I start thinking, hmm. If I ever wanted to do that with my kids, have I ever been that way with my kids? Hopefully I'm not, but I mean, having that frustrated, I'm trying to correct my child from something that they're doing. But what do the scriptures say? Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we get in here into Ephesians, we're going to talk about not exacerbating your child, stirring up anger with your own children. What about another example? When I want to lecture my kids. Anybody ever wanted to lecture their child? Anybody ever want to set your child down and just say, you're going to listen to me, and we got some things to talk about, and you're going to hear it. Well, what about this? James 1, 19. Know this, beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. As you're thinking that through, for some of us, this is really foreign. Because a lot of us weren't raised in environments like this, especially a little more old school. But just think of the picture that you're seeing of a father sitting down with a child, even in their sin, being able to sit down and say, hey, what's going on, guardian number four, what is guardian number 408? Oh, someone's kids. All right, hey, a soft answer turns away wrath. <laughs> I've been away for a couple of Wednesday nights. But think of the picture that you're seeing here of discipleship that can take place, where you're engaging the heart of a child rather than engaging simply the behavior of a child. What about when we want our children to make us look awesome? The Bible got anything to say about that? Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have you ever considered that passage from the standpoint of parenting? I haven't. I mean, sometimes we almost think, well, it doesn't apply to kids because we tell our kids what to do. and they, uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What about when I find meeting their needs, when I find meeting their needs to be an imposition? In other words, when I need to do something for my child and it's just, a no, I just don't want to do it, it's going to set me out, I'm going to, it's going to put me off, Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Think about parenting through that lens. You ever thought about the fact that while you, a lot of times it's easy to think, well, while we go feed the homeless, we're doing that for Jesus. What about your own children? Those are God's precious children too. God is pleased and blessed when we care for his children. What about when I want credit for how hard I'm working as their dad? Matthew 6, verse 3 through 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What about when I don't want to extend forgiveness for their offenses? 
Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And may, maybe if we can just have sort of an overall one at the end, when you've just sort of completely lost sight of what you're doing, you, you've completely lost sight of the forest for the trees, you are at the end of your rope, you don't know what to do. As the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Hear that one more time, would you? From the standpoint of parenting, think about this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And when you read through some of the one another commands in scriptures, but try reading through them from the lens of a parent. Try isolating yourself from, that's what we do with our neighbor, or that's what we do with the homeless people, or that's what we do with the other people in the church, and go, maybe... Maybe this is how we're supposed to treat one another even within our own families and our own households. And you find out, it, it opens up, there's, it turns out the Bible has a lot to say, specifically and practically about parenting. Amen? A lot to say. Our kids are people too. And what we're raising is disciples of Jesus Christ. And really, I, I, I even started trying to think through some others even as I was running today and, and I really kind of came, the one that, that really just solidified it for me is thinking through in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, hey, listen, um, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't worry about how you're going to have clothes. Don't worry about your food. Those are the things that the world seeks after, and your Father in heaven already knows that you have need of these things. But instead, what does he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Our number one responsibility as parents, above everything else, is to put our children in the arms of Jesus Christ. That's really it. Um, whether they're ever a CEO of a company, whether they ever play any sports at all, whether they're poor and struggle financially for the rest of their lives, they'll have Jesus. And nothing satisfies, nothing else satisfies but Christ alone. And all the effort we put into our kids with regards to education because we want to make sure they have a good life later on, how much do we put into their life with regards to Jesus? Because th that education, even in our day and age, I mean, they're saying right now, this is the first time because of the cost and jobs and things like that, that it's probably not a great idea for everyone to go to college anymore. It doesn't guarantee you work. I mean, people are graduating college with hundreds of thousand dollars worth of debt, no job, and all that time for years planned into them and finding that even that has left them empty. Money leaves them empty. Relationships will leave them empty. The only thing that will satisfy the souls of our children and of us as parents is Jesus Christ himself. Now, um, what are we doing on time? Oh gosh, we have lots of time, don't we? Darn, no questions please. But um, <laughs> here, here's the reality of it though. So we can go through all that stuff. And I don't know about you, but when I read through some of these things, 
When I think about how my dad parented me, I was just talking to Bronwyn about that this week, like teaching just a couple of weeks ago about my dad and, and, and the frustrations that I felt from him and then going, oh, but I still, as much as that was difficult for me, I see some of myself too now. I see him in me. I see that sometimes in my own places with my own children and I come, I, I really wrestled with guilt. And, but here's the reality of it. Let me, let me take some pressure off of all of you with regards to all this stuff because we can't do this, right? Like, no one's going to nail this, right? Like, you're going, okay, thanks, Jeff, because the Bible only had so many passages specifically about, merit or about parenting, and I'm already having a hard time. You just basically said the whole Bible is now about parenting. I, I don't even have the time for any of this, and here, here's the reality of it. You cannot do this on your own. You, even you, whoever you are, are woefully inadequate for this task woefully inadequate for this task. Let me show you a passage that I think might encourage you and also enlighten some of this. It's from the book of Malachi. One of the last things said, literally one of the last things said in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 6, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He's talking about Jesus. And he says a couple of things that I think are worth noting. Number one, he says, I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers. In other words, this, children's hearts are going to need to be turned back towards parents. I mean, no matter how amazing our kids are, there's times when they're just not, right? But, but by that same token, he will turn the hearts of fathers towards their children. Because how many of you could say with total certainty and honesty that your heart has always been for the best interest of your child? Your heart has always been, I want to do the best for my child. If you're saying that, you should repent because we are all selfish, self-centered sinners. And we all go through seasons where our kids are either exacerbating us and wearing us out. We wish they would just stop doing this so that our lives would be easier. Or they're doing this and that worries me. And what will people think about me if they see my kids doing this? There's all sorts of things that come back on us and yet... We see here from Malachi, there's a time when we as parents need to have our hearts turned back towards our children as well. But the other thing that you should notice as you're reading this, who does the turning? It's not us. If your child's heart is turned away from you right now, and some of you in this room, I've actually had conversations, I know you're going through stuff right now. Here's the honest truth. You cannot turn your child's heart back towards you. You can't do it. You do not have that ability. You don't have that power, and you'll never be good enough to do it. And if you're in a season where you find your own self frustrated with parenting and all these kind of things, here's some other reality too. You will never be able to fight your sin nature 100% to the point that you are always turned towards your child as well. But here's the last, one of the last things said to us in the book of Malachi, and then you turn the page and you get to Matthew. And it tells a story of this little child that was born. This little child that always had his eyes turned towards his father. This little child that perfectly fulfilled the will of his father. Never disappointed his father. Never frustrated his father. Never let his father down. He never frustrated people around him, at least not sinfully frustrated. He was kind. He was gentle. All those things that we just read about kindness towards one another nailed them. Every single one of them. And yet he was brutally murdered. Speaking about doing everything right and still finding difficulty in this world, 
He was brutally murdered, but, but not senselessly. He did it because we can't possibly do these things on our own. And that sin, that rebellion that you see in your children already does not surprise Jesus at all. That's why he came. And so, so maybe some of you as parents just need to be reminded of this fact. You're stressing yourself out because you feel the burden that you've put on yourself. I've got to do this for my children. I've got to. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. Listen, if Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for their sin, I'm pretty sure he's got them covered. I'm pretty sure he's not going to forget your child. I'm pretty sure he's going to make sure that no sin, nothing can pluck him away from him. He's, he's in control. He knows what he's doing. And the best thing we can do is just take our child's hand and put it in the hand of his heavenly father teach them and pray for them and teach them and pray for them and even when they're outside of the house pray for them and teach them and pray for them and teach them i'm telling you when when i was going through some rebellious years in college and i was outside of the house my mom never stopped talking about jesus to me and it drove me insane when she would do it it frustrated me to no end but she never stopped and she never started praying and i'll tell you something moms especially Go look through the Bible and see. There's something special about the prayers of mothers to the heart of God. There's a lot of them. From Mary, Hannah. You see all through the scripture, there's these times when moms went to God praying for their children and the Heavenly Father was touched. The best thing we can do as parents is to make sure that we are walking through life with them, pointing them towards heaven. Not heaven on earth here and not making our child our heaven but pointing them towards Jesus and just trusting God to do exactly what he says he's going to do, to awaken the hearts of people to the reality of who his son, to forgive and to save. It's the best thing that we can do. Amen? Amen. Well, um, now, do we have any questions? Do we? Oh, you're looking at me with like a look. Uh, this is why I let Sam teach on Wednesday nights now. So let's go. Let's see what we got. How should we navigate disciplining our children physically in light of our current culture's view on spanking? Yeah, controversial topic, right? Um, thanks for that one. Um, so uh, here, here's what I'll say. Um, I don't think, in, to my knowledge, I don't think it's come out anywhere, correct me if I'm wrong, has it come out anywhere that spanking your child is now considered absolute abuse? I'm not talking Adrian Peterson here, but I'm talking about just, is spanking now off the books anywhere? It is? Where? In the state of Oregon, you can't spank your child? Are you sure? What's that? Oh, I know the teachers can't, but parents can't either? Okay, interesting. All right, what other forms of discipline are there? <laughs> Verbal abuse. Yeah. You, you know, here, here's what I would say. Um, when, well, when God's law contradicts state's law, we follow God's law, Right? So the question then becomes, what does God's law say about that? Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's a controversial thing. There's a lot of people that say, no, when it says spare the rod, it's using figurative language, and so there's some, some things that you need to kind of study and look into on your own. I'll say this. Um, we spanked our children, but we didn't have to do it very much because we were consistent, um, but we were kind. We were gentle about it. We never used our hands. It was a ping pong paddle in the Hensley household. Um, because I wanted them to uh, associate my hand with love, not with, with discipline. And I, know, I don't know how well that works necessarily. If I was a kid, I'd have been like, yeah, well, your hand had the paddle, Dad. But anyway, that's, that's what we did. But, um, but, but here's what I would say. Th there came a time when we moved away from that, and it ac actually happened kind of early for us, and there were other forms of discipline that actually became way more effective for us. 
So um, we spanked our children. Please don't tell the police. Apparently that was wrong. But, um, but there's a huge difference between spanking your child and beating your child. There just is. And if you don't know it, something's wrong with you. I mean, you just know. Um, if you're angry when you spank your child, don't do it. Just wait. You know, it's not like a dog where you have to catch them that moment in the action or they don't remember. You can talk with your children. You can reason with your children. Um, and I've talked with other people before that they were spanking their kid when they were like one. I, I don't understand that. I, they're not pets. They're people too, you know? So, um, so I think you just need to have some wisdom. I, I think if you're walking with the Spirit, seeking God's heart and understanding that this is God's child, I don't see how you cross some of those lines. I just don't see how that necessarily happens. But um, yeah. So I'm glad I answered that clearly and 100% for you guys. Next. Do you believe catechism is important or helpful? I know who this is. I love it, by the way. Um, I, I was doing a little bit of it with my kids not long ago, and I got off of that. But catechism is basically, if you're not from high church or you're not from like you know Presbyterian or some of that background, it's just a, a way of teaching your children some of just the basics of doctrine. And there's several of them. The Westminster Catechism is probably the most famous one. Um, I've quoted it several times, that the first question being, what is the chief end of man to um, glorify God and enjoy him forever? And, and it's just basically a simple question-answer way of just walking your children um, through just some of the basics basics of doctrine and faith. Um, it may have sort of a high church model, and some of it has a lot of high church language and sort of old school stuff, but they can be, if you as a parent are looking for a way to teach your children about God and about Jesus, some of that stuff's fantastic. Have any of you, when you were raised, did you learn some of the catechisms or any of you brought through some of those kind of things? Just a few of you, yeah. They can be fantastic. And um, if you're an iPad user, I highly encourage you, there's an app called New City Catechism, and it's phenomenal. And it's done by a lot of the guys from the Gospel Coalition, you know, like Tim Keller and uh, John Piper and um, all these different guys. And they go through a lot of these different questions. But then in the settings, you know, you go into an app and it's got the little gear wheel that means settings. You click on that and there's an option to turn it on a children's level. And there are these little videos and it'll have the question. There's a short little video describing that. They're super good. Um, so I, catechisms can totally be helpful. But is it the only way to raise your kid? Absolutely not. Of course not. Yeah. Next, how do we create an open culture as parents with our kids where they feel safe to open up about struggles with sin, but also letting them understand the seriousness of their sin? Um, I, I think you used the right word, whoever asked the question, is that it's a culture. Um, creating a culture where, think of the scriptures in this way, it says that, that Jesus is going to turn the heart of the father towards the child and the heart of the child towards the father. There's a heart connection that happens there, okay? And so um, I think that's important. In, in my upbringing, um, I felt at least uh, that a lot of the upbringing I had was not geared so much towards heart-to-heart -heart conversations. It was, it was morals and rules-based, right? So, so everything was about rules and external behavior, but I don't ever remember having conversations about the things going on in my actual heart. Lots of lectures about what to do and what not to do. Never a, what's going on? How are you doing? None of that. And so um, we've tried really hard. Now, this is one of those areas where I, I can't give you a lot of, um, I, your pastor is woefully inadequate to give you all the answers on this. And I think probably all of us in this room are too. Um, first of all, just, just, you know, I think it's kind of encouraging that um, no one seems to know. You just sort of learn as you go. You know what I'm saying? Like w with using God's people and using the resources God gives us, we just try to do the best that we can going through it. And one of the articles that I read, by the way, um, talking about kind of that making um, heaven on earth for your children, was like, hey, look, 
don't bury yourself trying to be the perfect parent. The, the reality is, it only takes a good enough one. And that's just the reality of it. Um, but in this particular case, I think this is important. I think you have to create a culture where you can sit down and have a conversation with your child about their heart, um, knowing something might come forth that you want to scold. <laughs> you know what I mean? That you want to discipline and you want to deal with. Um, the resource I would point you to would be uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart is on this list and also Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick. I think both of those, um, if I remember correctly, talk really good about engaging the heart of your children and not just the behavior of your children. Um, but it's something that happens over time. And I think sometimes you have to just... F- when I grew up, it was so hard fast. If you break a rule, you're going to be punished 100% of the time. It's just the way it is. And, and my parents, to their credit, like that, that's what they thought was the best thing to do. Um, but if as a parent, our responsibility is to, to some degree model or be an example of who God is, that there's times when, for the sake of engaging your child, you're not smacking down the behavior um, and, and punishing what comes up in those open, honest conversations. Does that make sense? So, so it is a cultural thing. Um, when's the balance on that? When something comes up that you have to deal with? Uh, that, there's actually parents in this room that have a lot more experience and are probably better at it than I am. And these are the benefits of even, I hate to keep pounding these kind of things, sorry, but things like community groups and fellowship within the churches that you can learn from people that have walked through some of these paths before you. Um, but it's a really, really good thing um, to have, yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling with their kids not listening to one parent versus the other when the parents are both being consistent with discipline, grace, and love? Um, Okay, um, I don't know what the specific situation here is, but I'm just going to gather a guess that kids probably listening to dad and not mom. That's usually what it tends to be. Um, Here's what I would say. Mom and dad... Honestly, one of the best things you can have for your children statistically and, and, I mean, looking through any secular or Christian research is godly, unified parents with a healthy marriage. And so if you two are, as the Bible says, one, then you are together in everything that you do with regards to your children. Therefore, an affront against one parent is an affront against both parents, and you have to deal with it in that way. Um, I, I, I know, man, I... My, my parents, I can't say they had the best marriage growing up, but if I ever back-talked to my mom, my dad would beat me, and there was no Oregon rule, man. We had a weeping willow tree in my yard, and I had to, I'm not joking, I had to go get a switch. That was my upbringing, and I'm telling you, and, and I've been switched because of uh, back-talking my mom. And so I, I would say if a kid's respecting one and not the other, you've probably, and I say this gracefully, but you've probably created a culture where the kid feels like they can do that, and you should change that. Um, and the one they listen to, they listen to you. So make them listen to you, and you, and you change that culture. Um, the two become one when you're married. And so an affront against your wife is an affront against you, or vice versa. Um, next. What does it mean for an elder to rule his household well? Ah, so... Um, this is with regards to qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, 4. Um, and the idea is, how can you be charged with leading a congregation if you're not actually leading your family already? Um, and this goes into, some of you guys might remember, we did a men's retreat last year that was awesome. And we talked about pastor dad, that, that you are the pastor of your, your household. Um, and so this is kind of what they're talking about there. What specifically does it mean to rule your family or rule your household well? It's a pretty vague statement, is it not? 
Um, there's not a, a lot of specifics. Are your children taking out the trash on time? Are they making A's in their homework? There's not any of those kind of things. I think that's one of those judgment calls that is your, um, the idea being, Paul's talking to Timothy, when you're raising up elders, look at how they lead their family. And how they lead their family should tell you a little something about whether they're able to actually lead a congregation or not. Um, so it's sort of a, a judgment call or an observation that a pastor is being given to look at how they're navigating that. Um, what people are asking when they ask this, this question is, okay, so if a guy wants to be an elder but one of his sons isn't walking with Jesus anymore, um, what do they do? And I, is it not true that you could be doing everything right as a parent and have a son that's not walking with Jesus? Is that not true? Um, so, so there's a lot of judgment call going on there. It's, it's, the idea is look at the culture of the family, and what you see there is going to tell you a lot about whether they're able to um, lead and, and shepherd a, a, a church, a church body. Oh. Happy birthday, Jeff. Is that it? No. Look, if you loved me, if you loved me at all, you would not sing happy birthday right now. Um, I'll tell you right now. Um, but look, can I do this? We still have some time. Uh, okay, so I'm going to totally... I am going to, yeah. What? Oh, the Oregon law? Yeah, we should know that so we don't all go to jail tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I guess Marks is a judgment call, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, don't report Oh, yeah. Oh, you can definitely get DHS on your doorstep. There's no doubt. And, and my wife and I did foster care for a while, and we had to, like, sign paperwork saying that we, there's no way we will ever spank children. But it doesn't take away, it doesn't take the rod away from you. Let me put it that way. If, if you're holding on to the passage about spare the rod, spoil the child, which is the one that tends to go to, if Oregon takes away the ability to spank, I don't think that by default removes the rod from your hand. That's what I would say. Um, th there's other ways of consistent discipline that, that you can go to, I would think. Um, but man, my parents spanked me. Um, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a little bit of thunder just for a moment, just with you guys tonight, because I wrestled with this teaching. If you feel like, man, he was really vague in a lot of these things, I was and intentionally so. Because um, we, we have, as I told you guys, the, the greatest pastoral staff in the world. And uh, Pastor Jeremy... Pastor Brent, so Jeremy does our high school ministry and counseling. Um, Brent Sisson is the uh, children's minister or children's and family ministry pastor. And our, most, our, our newest pastor is um, Mitch Connell, who is the junior high pastor. Those guys have been together working so hard for a season on something that we are so excited to roll out pretty soon. But um, we feel so strongly about the idea of family and, and, and parenting and all these kind of things. Um, and, and some of the things that we've seen and some of the experiences that these guys have, it was just like, man, there's got to be a way that we could come alongside families to a better degree than what we actually are. So these guys have literally been writing and putting together a completely new way of looking at family, uh, just an entire um, program that's going to be unrolled when we get to the passages on, on parenting in Ephesians. And I was just telling Brent this morning, like the frustrating thing for me to be teaching about parenting tonight is I wish we had looked forward a little better and lined all of these things up so we could have done this all at once. But basically, um, there's a program that's going to be uh, unrolled uh, or unveiled, whatever you want to call it, on a Sunday coming up pretty soon that's called Heritage Milestones. 
And the idea is this. There are several significant milestones along the life and development of children from birth, um, dedication, baptism, um, adolescence, a lot of these different kind of things. And if the role of the church, think back to what I just taught this weekend, if the role of the church is that we are to come alongside you to help you accomplish the work of the ministry, then how can we best do that? And, and how can we equip families to be the pastors and the leaders and the shepherds for their families rather than um, creating a culture where bringing your child to church and putting them in the kid's wing, now you've done your duty, um, but you've never really been prepared for how to do those kind of things when you get back home. And those guys have killed it. And I, I'm telling you, I am so excited for what's coming up. But they've created a thing here. I'm giving you, this, no one's seen this yet, all right? Um, but it's a program called Heritage Milestones. We just got the book finished this week. Um, there's an actual book finished, and inside it goes through all the different milestones. Uh, milestone one, birth to two years, parent and child dedication. Milestone two, their faith commitment and baptism. Milestone three, preparing for adolescence. Milestone four, pathways to purity, how to talk and walk with your children through some of these issues. Milestone number five, movement towards maturity for grades nine and 10. Milestone number six, grades 11 and 12, preparing to launch into adulthood. And in each of these cases, here's what we're gonna do. Don't get your feathers ruffled. We're not gonna do one-on-one -on -one baby dedications anymore. And we're not going to approach child baptism in the same way we've done before. What we're going to do is now start coming alongside the families. And so before your child gets dedicated, you'll come here on a Saturday and you'll sit down with these guys and walk through, hey, you've got this baby now. Life just changed. And yeah, Oregon says you've got to provide all these kind of things. But what should it look like now as you are setting the culture even from the beginning with your child in your home? And the idea being us and the, the pastors and elders and shepherds here at the church coming alongside you and helping you create those kind of cultures and these sort of rhythms in your family all along the way. Purity retreats and how to celebrate successes and literally like planning and setting celebrations for some of the different successes. How to lead your own child to Jesus rather than waiting for them to be at a camp or something like these. We are so excited about the opportunity not just to come alongside parents as they um, disciple their children, but to be able to watch like uh, I want to see dads baptizing their own kids, not the pastor doing it. Because it's the dad that led that child to Jesus. Like those are the kind of things that we want to start seeing in the culture of our church here. And so this program, if you're like, Jeff didn't teach us how to do nothing. Well, there's a time coming really soon. So just, that was just like a teaser. Anybody watch the Star Wars teaser trailers and you get all giddy? So that's the teaser. Coming up pretty soon when we get into Ephesians, we're going to be talking about this. And what I do believe that these guys have put together is a way that we as a church can come around you guys as families and equip you better than we ever have been able to before um, to be able to do some of the very things that we've looked at here. So we're really excited about that. Does that sound cool to any of you guys? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So um, don't tell Jeremy and those guys that we stole their thunder and I showed them your book. I, I was actually at a pastor's luncheon yesterday that we put on to, to try to drum up support for the uh, Save the Storks thing. And I had to go early to get the table. So I was sitting there and the book had just come out. And so I was sitting there kind of reading through the book and looking at how it all turned out. Um, as a couple of the pastors came in and they saw this thing that Jeremy and Carmine Petretto did the design on this and all these guys, they, they, they saw this and they're like, wow, that's cool. Where'd you guys buy that book? And I was like, actually, our, our church made it. And they were just like, whoa, dude, can we get one of these? And I was like, nope. <laughs> I literally did. What I said is, 
after we unveil it to everyone here, I'd be more than happy to give you a copy, but I'm not giving you guys a copy before we give our own church family. So, um, so we're, we're working on that and planning. In fact, I think we have a meeting tomorrow to set the date for all this stuff. So um, pray for us as all these things come together. I think it's going to be really good for us. Amen? Um, anything else? No. Great. Let's all stand and pray. You got to be careful with that anything else part. You can ask that and end up with 15 more minutes of questions. So I'm going to cut you guys loose right now. Um, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just grace us as parents. Lord, those who are parents now, those who will be parents, those who um, may be empty nesters, but they're still, Lord, discipling and leading their children, I just pray, God, you would give us grace because it is a task we are woefully inadequate for. Um, But God, we're so thankful. What a joy it can be as well, too. And so I pray, Lord, you would just give everyone here grace in how to do things like creating a heart-to-heart culture, um, how to navigate things like um, spanking or discipline or uh, all of those things. God, there's so many things and so many questions, and, and I just pray, God, that you would give us your grace in, this, in these things. Give us your wisdom. Give us discernment, when to speak and when not to. Um, And Lord, I pray more than anything that we would just have a gospel-centered approach even to parenting, knowing that, Lord, um, you saw our difficulties, you saw our weakness, Lord, you invested yourself in it, Um, you considered us better, You, you elevated us by humbly coming and serving us, and I pray, God, you would give us that sort of mindset, that as we are reminded what you did for us, that we would do those things as well for the least of these. Lord, I also pray, Lord, for this, the, the milestones thing coming up, and and even in the culture in our church, God, I pray that we, you would just help us to continue to create a culture where maybe young parents can be connected to older parents and learn from some of their experiences and wisdom. But, but God, ultimately, you are the good father, you are the heavenly father, and we just commit again all of our children to your care and pray, God, that you would just shepherd and, and grow them. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you guys want to sneak peek at this, feel free to come up. Um, I'm going to take this list here to the back. And so if you want the book list, it'll be available right back here. God bless you guys. Love you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Made whole.